What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Extra Points in NFL Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. It has been an incredible, incredible week for me so far, at least in terms of the weather, in terms of the things going on. It's it's weird. It, it, it sounds kind of sad, I guess, but that's kind of a one-off thing, especially for, for how things are going lately. Uh, I mean, obviously there's still something going on, but for the most part, I mean, we got beautiful weather going on and that 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 always helps we got some fun stuff going on with the jobs uh, my brother got some good news he got uh accepting the state police which is which is super cool for him so he starts basic training so that's also super 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 cool to hear but yeah i mean, I mean th- there's been a lot of good things going around and i mean along with that we got a pretty heavy news week, and that's kind of what I wanted to dedicate this podcast to. Um, sorry I didn't get it out yesterday. I was not home from 7 in the morning until 8 p.m. at night, and yeah, it, it was a long day yesterday, but do have it for you guys today. Also, I mean, like I said, we got a ton going on. I have at least four or five different news points that I want to touch around, just Stuff you know, kind of circulate in the circulate in the NFL world. Stuff like that, talking points, uh, some drama, possible acquisitions, injuries, stuff like that. And then as well, I want to go over and touch on Thursday night football, which shouldn't take too long because uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be a great matchup. But of course, the last time I said that, it was honestly the game of the week and an incredible overtime finish for the Falcons. But we will get into that a little bit later. So I guess jumping right into the news, the first thing that I wanted to do was talk about Josh Allen's injury and kind of the updates that have been going on with that throughout the entire week. Now, for those of you who do not know or may not know the full extent of the injury, Josh Allen was hurt on one of the last couple of plays in the game versus the New York Jets. Now, obviously, I mean, it happened at the end of the game and it does not excuse his god-awful performance, just looking absolutely pitiful that entire time. But towards the end of the game, he bumped his head or something like that on a Jets defender, hurting his elbow, and it thought and it was thought to be a sprained UCL joint, uh, which could have possibly needed Tommy John surgery at the worst. Now, a lot of people were kind of downplaying the, the fact that he might need surgery because on the very play after he started to grab at his elbow, he chucked a ball that traveled 69 yards through the air, which is the longest pass in the NFL season so far, at least in terms of air yards, and in the past couple of air se- um, seasons as well, outside of that Baker Mayfield one-off cannon that he threw in that Hail Mary attempt whatever year ago that was. But, yeah, so so people started to kind of rule it down from being Tommy John surgery because that's, that's obviously the most extreme thing that it could have been. And so the fact that he just uncorked a damn near 70-yard laser down the field, it probably wasn't that. But at least the minute couple of details that Sean McDermott, the Bills head coach, was letting in on, it seems to be a sprain, at least that of his UCL joint, which sprains are essentially just partial tears. That's exactly what a sprain is. So, yeah, I mean, it still, I mean, whether, whether it be the Tommy John surgery, obviously that's what um, Ben Roethlisberger had the other uh, season, which cost him the rest of the season. So Bills fans are extremely excited and uh grateful that it's not that but at the same time it still is a sprain and he's listed as day-to-day he's said apparently and expressed to his teammates it's come out that he does plan on playing against the Minnesota Vikings this upcoming week however like I said Sean McDermott's had been very hush-hush about it uh, in general now just kind of touching on that just in the Josh Allen aspect of things 
He looked pitiful the past two games, and if he has this injury and it's even somewhat severe, yes, I understand he's day-to-day, but there is no point in rushing him back. I understand that putting in Case Keenum against, I mean, you have a, a not, not necessarily murderer's row of next couple of games. You have the Vikings, the Lions, and the Bears consecutively, and these three games in about a, what, 21-22 day span, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe a, or by by that I mean like a 16 to 18 day span, because obviously they play Thursday night on Thanksgiving, so yeah, you're going to have a couple, I'm not trying to say cupcakes, because the Vikings are 7 and 1 and look every single part of that, and you guys know my affinity for the Vikings, and along with that, the Bears have looked like they've had some semblance of an offense as well, and hell, the, the Lions just beat the Packers with meh offensive play. So they have a decent, decently tough road ahead of them, but I think they would benefit more by preserving Josh Allen for when they actually need him. I mean, God forbid he goes out, uh, guns ablazing in the Vikings game, and we all know that the Bills' offense relies solely on the heels of Josh Allen, whether it be running, throwing, all of it. It's just squarely on the back of him. So say he goes out against the Vikings and they get down, then he needs to throw the ball. If he throws the ball another 40 times, is he going to be able to take it? I mean, this is something that seems very similar to what we saw with uh, Dak Prescott prior to last year, which he did not look good. We, we, we can all completely agree with that. He did not look good, uh, that shoulder injury. And then Matthew Stafford had the same thing, a little bit of a lingering shoulder injury, which he kept practicing and practicing through, and he just continued to look worse. Now, this is the elbow I know, and Josh Allen's had issues with the elbow uh, before. In his rookie season 2018, he also needed to get surgery on the same elbow for an injury. Almost that occurred in similar fashion, banging his head on a helmet, hurting the UCL joint. I don't think that a team that is so quarterback-centric like the Bills are can rely on their quarterback who has a sprained UCL in his throwing arm for the rest of the season. I mean, I know it's not the same, but take a look at Baker Mayfield when he tried to play through injury. He just looked broken. For I'm not saying that Josh Allen is going to be anything like that, but at the same time, you do not want to risk him re-aggravating it and injuring it even further. Taking... Out of the next three games, I mean, the Lions, the Bears, the Vikings, say you lose two of them, worst case scenario. I mean, going one and two and that isn't the end of the world. You will still be seven and four. Now, yes, that may loosen your hold on the division to the Dolphins, to the Jets, and God forbid, even the Patriots, depending on how well they do, because the AFC East is so competitive. But at the same time, you want Josh Allen ready when you need him to be ready. You need him for these games yet in the regular season. Now, down the road, could they prove costly if the Bills end up finishing 9-8 and eight or something like that? Yes, 100%. I'm not saying that they wouldn't. But at the same time, you really need to take your team's future outlook into consideration. And really, I, I think it's a smart idea to bench him for maybe a week and, and reevaluate, keep him week to week rather than day to day. And I mean, on the Bills injury front, they once again were decimated in the Jets game, having a couple of other starters uh, like Greg Rousseau. He's also week to week with a high ankle sprain. So a bunch of bad stuff going on for them. But switching more to the, I guess, negative side of things for this whole situation, say that Allen is hurt more severely than normal, or maybe he goes out to play and it turns out it was more hurt than he originally thought it to be. If the Bills are stuck with Case Keenum for the majority of the rest of the season, or God forbid the rest of the season, any more than six or seven games, maybe, they're screwed. Because 
going into this season, even the um, ones prior, Case Keenum was looked at to be one of the top two, three backups in the entire league. It was him, Trubisky at the time, and uh, Gardner Minshew as the top three. Great quarterback. Well, seemingly great. Obviously, he had that one-off season in Minnesota, and hell, if he played this week, it would be a bit of a revenge game for him and Stefan Diggs. But at the same time, if you watched preseason with him in the Bills, if you watched his few stints when he went into the game, uh, when Josh Allen or when the Bills were just up by so much, he has looked pitiful. Just absolutely god-awful. And if they're stuck with what he's looked like for six, seven, eight games, God forbid something terrible happens, the Bills season is over. And I'm talking no playoffs in a crowded AFC like this. So keeping Josh Allen's long-term health into consideration is much more important than a division title should be, or even the number one seed should be at this point. We saw it last year, the Bills being the four seed, and they still had a realistic shot at the Super Bowl. The year prior to that being the two seed, having a realistic shot at the Super Bowl as well. The first seed doesn't mean all of that. And honestly, teams that come off it or have it coming off the bye don't play that well either. We saw it with the Titans, we saw it with the Packers, we saw it in years past. I mean, it's just how things go. You need to look long-term rather than short-term and try not to rush Josh Allen back, at least in my own opinion. And we all know that Josh Allen is the entire offense, so even if Case Keenum is in there, you're not going to be able to rely on Devin Singletary and James Cook. I mean, yes, he just picked up Naheem Hines, but he's not fully integrated yet, and he's not uh, the type of running back that's going to carry a team like a Derrick Henry or a Nick Chubb. So, God forbid Case Keenum needs to play a significant amount of time for Josh Allen, um, who, say, he re-aggravates it, or it is just more serious than thought. Bills are done for. And this is a huge, huge injury to a Super Bowl contending team. And I don't want to say that this injury completely takes them out of the Super Bowl bubble for me, but with the past two weeks of play for Josh Allen looking as poorly as he did, and along with this injury, it's seeming like the Bills peaked way, way, way too early on in their season. By that, I mean the first three or four weeks. Now, outside of that, I know I know it's a little bit of a darker topic, don't really like talking about injuries here. Let's get into, I guess, the next big ish story here and that's with Odell Beckham Jr. Now it's been making rounds on social media, on talk shows, everything. Skip Bayless, all those Cowboys uh, fans in the media, stuff like that. They've been talking about Odell Beckham and him getting recruited to the Cowboys. Now it all started because Jerry Jones a couple of days ago came out and said something along the lines of damn Odell would look great in in a Cowboys uniform or something like that. He would look great with a Cowboys helmet. And so, of course, that sparked all, you know, the, the Twitter birds and people like that and posting stuff. Oh, my God, this means Odo Beckham is now a lock to go to the Cowboys, stuff like that. It sparked Micah Parsons tweeting out to Odell and recruiting him, other Cowboys players doing the same thing. And let's just pump the brakes here really quickly. Odell Beckham Jr. is such a big topic in media circles, and I just cannot for the life of me understand why. Now, I completely understand that he is a decent receiver, and he looked good in the playoffs last year for the Rams, but outside of that, for the past couple of years, he hasn't looked good, and he's injury-prone. He's torn the same ACL twice, and he tore the other one when he was in college, so we're looking at a very, very injury-prone wide receiver coming off of two ACL tears to the same knee who probably won't even be able to play until late November. 
late this month, after Thanksgiving, maybe even into December. So what is that going to do for the Cowboys? Will it provide them a spark in the playoffs? Sure. I mean, I, I can understand that. Maybe you'll do something similar to the Rams. And if you look at the Rams of last year and the Cowboys of this year, I don't want to say they're directly similar, but they're they're, they're sort of chiasmuses, which is a term that my professor drills into our brain, which is just what a chiasmus is. It's a little bit of a literary X across, a crossing pads, an inverse, a literary inverse of one another. And that's kind of what I think the Cowboys are to the Rams. Last year, the Rams had an explosive offense and a good, you can get by with it defense. In, in the playoffs, the defense came up big when the offense stalled. Now, on the flip side, the Cowboys are an incredible defense that carries them with a good, good enough to make it offense. Now, with the addition of Odell Beckham, I think this is kind of leaning into the model, I guess, of being the opposite of the Rams. Say their defense happens to falter in a playoff game or the championship, the Super Bowl, then their offense will be able to pick up the slack like the Rams' defense did in the Super Bowl. Is that me reading into it? 100% yes it is. But at the same time, I can understand why Cowboy fans are getting excited, but it's Odell Beckham Jr. coming off of another ACL injury who's older and just doesn't seem to be that like he used to be. And I can't imagine that he will be so late on into a season getting integrated with a new team, another, a third, no, fourth now, new playbook in his career, a, another quarterback, another offensive scheme. I mean, it's just a lot to ask for him. And I get, I get that he's a big name. And we've all heard the rumors of how he needs to go to Green Bay now, or he needed to go to the Chiefs, or he needs to go to the Bills. And now he needs to go to the Cowboys because it just makes so much sense, right? Not really. I mean, the Packers, they missed, they kind of missed their chance. I mean, they waited until it was too late to get a difference maker on their team, and now they're sitting not so pretty at three and six, probably not making the playoffs whatsoever. So too late for them. The Chiefs, it seems like Odell kind of missed his chance to sign with the Chiefs, and the Chiefs just went for Kadarius Toney, who you can argue is around the same thing. A little bit injury prone, but younger, able to do just about everything, quick, shifty, route running, stuff like that. So, and he was acquired at a much cheaper price, cheaper contract at least, than Odell Beckham would be, and they have him for multiple years, three years now. So Odell kind of missed a shot on that. Now for the Bills, it seems like the Bills aren't really willing to sign him yet. I mean, Von Miller's been promising it over and over and over again. The media, uh, you have people like Tredavious White saying that he's spoken to Odell, stuff like that, and it just hasn't happened yet. So until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And the Bills, they definitely do need some help at wide receiver. Outside of Stefan Diggs, they don't have much. I don't care how how much people say that the Bills have a great receiving core. They do not. Okay, Jamison Crowder went down with an injury. That's not good. Isaiah McKenzie is as inconsistent as they come. Gabe Davis will go off for 170 yards one game like he did against the Steelers, and for the rest of the season, I would be surprised if he hits 50 yards. It's just how he is, and he hasn't proven to be a number two. Honestly, Isaiah McKenzie isn't really a good number three. So with this, with all this kind of just fiasco, I guess, going on in Buffalo. I can see them wanting to bring him in, but with Josh Allen's injury too, say it's long-term and then they start to trickle out of playoff contention and maybe it's thought to be more serious than normal and maybe Allen's season is over, God forbid, you're not going to sign Odell Beckham to a one-year contract with Case Keenum as your freaking quarterback. 
Just not going to happen. And now obviously shifting over to Dallas. Yes, I get it. He's a big name in the big city with the big lights and big D, big Dallas. Everything's better in te- or bigger in Texas. All that kind of jazz. I completely get it. But let's just slow it down and see until they actually make it. They have C.D. Lamb, who's kind of underwhelmed, but he's showing that he can be that guy. They have Michael Gallup, who's looking good. And then they have Dalton Schultz, who seems to be Dak's new favorite target, his security blanket. And then, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard are doing things on the ground, and that is how their offense flows, is through the ground. So what will Odell Beckham be able to do out that C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, uh, Noah Brown, I believe one of their tight ends, Dalton Schultz, isn't able to do not much you know I mean sure it'd be cool big name big city big star but yeah would probably just be a cause for big overreactions and big problems in Dallas now just some kind of smaller news things going on I wanted to touch on the Jeff Saturday hire once again just a little bit more here uh, I, I know that uh, obviously in the Monday episode, we're, we're kind of speculating a little bit, wondering exactly what the heck was going on. You know, like, why did this guy get the job? I mean, listen, I, I said it myself. I love Jeff Saturday. I think he's a great analyst. I think he's a great dude. He's super funny. He's super fun to watch. I like him a lot. But a lot of people like me were left scratching their heads and wondering. And it was all over talk shows, all over radio stations. You just pulled a guy from, from ESPN, from... Where, where, where's, where's the where's ESPN? As in Connecticut? You just pull a guy from Hartford, Connecticut and say, hey, coach our team. Interim. Let's do it. Like, what the heck? Everyone was kind of caught off guard about that. Every single person in their right mind was. I mean, it, it's completely justifiable. I completely get it. But apparently things have been coming out, at least from Jim Irsay and other people involved in the Colts organization that Jeff Saturday has, had, has obviously had close ties being a former player there and such a long-tenured player there, but also that he has had contact and stuff with, that, with those inside the organization. That being, he he knows kind of what's going on and stuff like that. And then even the issue about play calling was taken care of because obviously Frank Reich was the uh, play caller there, but he was fired. So it is now the quarterback's and positioning coach, I believe. I don't know his name right now off the top of my head, but he was promoted to be the offensive play caller with Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach. So it still leaves that lingering message sort of as, I doubt you just brought this guy away from ESPN, took him out of uh, Connecticut, wherever the hell the ESPN headquarters is. I, I doubt that you yanked him out of there, or yanked him off air, off get up, off first take, and just threw him into a role that he's only going to occupy for the next eight weeks, because we know the Colts aren't making the playoffs, unless Jeff Saturday is a goddamn madman as a coach. But yeah, I mean, it it seems like they're leaning into a new culture and they want Jeff Saturday to be the guy to do that. And Jim Ursay even said that when he came out and spoke about it, saying that he was the guy, he always had that kind of vibe, that feeling and all that kind of stuff. So if he's kind of the guy to get the culture set set back right, it's not going to be an eight-week hire. It's going to be a multi-year hire. And so If they don't do that, I'd be very surprised. And if they do do that, I'm very interested to see where Jeff Saturday will go with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, obviously, with this season, you're starting Sam Ellinger. Matt Ryan's been pitiful. Your defense has been pitiful. Jonathan Taylor's been hurt. Your offense sucks. You're going nowhere fast. And honestly, in contention for a top five, probably not number one pick uh, overall because you've won a little too many games like that already. 
I can't see the the Texans winning three more games now and the Colts losing out or something crazy like that. So, but yeah, I mean, a, a new quarterback is most likely in the books for them, whether it be CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, one of those up and coming guys. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see where the Colts go. And I know I've been bagging on their organization and just how they've ran things a lot over this season. They're a huge letdown and they, they really deserve to be bagged on, but I kind of like the idea and just kind of the kind of the way that they're going and the way that they're trending. And I believe Reggie Wayne, a former player, is their wide receivers coach too, which is pretty darn cool that they're getting a couple former players in here. Hell, maybe we'll see Peyton Manning as a quarterback coach. That would be batshit crazy. But yeah, I mean, as much as I've been bagging on the Colts, I like Jeff Saturday. Just needed to lean in here, uh, kind of eke out the rest of the season, watch some other games probably rather than your own, and just look forward to the future Colts fans. Now, next up, this, this is kind of a bit of a, a stupid, kind of comical bit of news here. And, and that's that's the little little spat between Pete Carroll, the Seahawks, and Russell Wilson. All of this over a wristband. Now, all this came uh, from Pete Carroll. He had, he had a little bit of an interview. He was talking to the press after uh, one of the practices earlier in this week. And when he was talking to it, he said... He, he was kind of like blowing up Geno Smith, you know, saying about how they're doing so well, why they're 6-3, and three, all the stuff that Geno Smith has been doing. And he said this, and I quote, he's getting everything he can out of Shane. Obviously, uh, Shane Walden, their offensive coordinator. That's a really important part of it. Shane helps him all the way through the 15-second point. That's as long as they're allowed to communicate with the helmets, for those of you who don't know. They're just communicating to get it done. Gino's taking advantage of all that. If you've noticed, Gino has been going off the wristband. And this is the part that he's so upset about. Gino has been going off the wristband, and that's a big help. It smoothed things out, sped things up, cleaned things up. That's part of it, too. We never did that before. There was resistance to that, so we didn't do that before. And then he also went on to talk about it more, saying when Shane says something to Gino, he's not doubting it. He's going to go with it. Uh, and he was, yeah, pretty much just alluding to the fact that uh, Russell Wilson would not stray away from the play sheet, that he didn't get along with his offensive coordinators, that he was completely unwilling to go off the top of his head, whether it be to protect himself or if he just was incapable of doing so. So... A little bit of subliminal shots here, especially when Pete Carroll said we weren't able to do that before. I mean, everyone kind of knows exactly what you're talking about here when you mean before. Obviously, it's the 5,000-pound elephant in the room and Russell Wilson now being a Denver Bronco. But that, that was a little unnecessary, but I completely understand what he's saying because the offense has had more success. So I think that Pete Carroll should be able to say like, hey, he has a good relationship with our offensive coordinators. He likes to be out of schedule a little bit more. He just probably didn't need to add in that last part as... Uh, we weren't able to before. And then, of course, this got its way around on social media, getting to Russell Wilson. And what's kind of out of character for Russell Wilson is he's usually common collected and doesn't respond to this stuff, but he did. Russell Wilson, he was asked about, like, you know, like the play call sheets, him having a wristband and stuff. And he was like, yeah, I won a lot of games. I didn't know winning or losing mattered whether you wore a wristband. And that was what he said. Now, obviously, the Broncos are... In, in shambles right now. They're 3-6 and six going into play. Uh, yikes. I think they're playing the Titans um, th this week, and they're traveling there as well. So they're third in their own division and not far away from fourth. And 
you can tell that tempers are kind of get, getting high here. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson feels a little upset. And don't get me wrong, you, you know exactly how I feel about Russell Wilson. I am not a Russell Wilson fan. I'm not a Russell Wilson supporter. And I think he's been downright awful this season. And, I mean, the stats reflect it. His play reflect, reflects it. His grades reflect it. Everything reflects the fact that he is not a good quarterback, especially not this season. And I said it earlier in maybe like week three, four, and I'm going to say it again. I'm going to continue to say it for as long as he plays like this. He's hurting his shot at the Hall of Fame. Playing this terribly just makes it look even more so like the fact that he was carried by a good defense and Pete Carroll. This does wonders for Pete Carroll turning a throwaway quarterback in Geno Smith into, honestly, a top-five quarterback this season, if I had to go. Going on all the quarterbacks, I would say Mahomes is up there, probably at one. Uh, Jalen Hurts, maybe I'd put at two right now. Josh Allen, throw him up there at three. And then, I mean, who else would you put? Braden Rodgers shouldn't be up in there. Joe Burrow, you can make an argument for him. I wouldn't put Justin Herbert up in there right now, and I chose him to be the MVP. I'd put Geno Smith above Justin Herbert right now. That's how well he's playing. He's honestly the best quarterback in his division. Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Stafford, and um, blanking on the and Kyler Murray. He's playing the best out of all of them. So, yeah, I mean, Russell Wilson obviously is taking a little bit of offense to this, but it's, it's not looking good for him. He looks terrible, and a quarterback that everyone was just so ready to throw away and a team that everyone was ready to throw away is now the opposite record of yours, which they're 6-3, and three, whereas you are 3-6. and six. I can understand why Russell Wilson's upset, but this whole little bit of drama is just a little stupid to me. I mean, like I said, it was a little unnecessary by Pete Carroll, but I completely get it. He got so much shit over the past couple of years when everyone starts saying, oh, let Russ cook, and it's all Russell Wilson, and Pete Carroll's holding him back. Well, open your eyes, kids. It, that's not the case. Pete Carroll is not the one holding any quarterback back in fact you can make the you can kind of make the argument here that Pete Carroll was one of the reasons why Russell Wilson was so good even though Pete Carroll is a defensive coach so yeah interesting news there a little little funny but just something I want to touch on and then finally this is kind of a little bit of a throwaway thing uh Jonathan Abram he, he was the Raiders box safety First round pick in 2019, a complete head scratcher. I, I saw it happen. I remember watching it live, one of the first drafts that I watched live. And I was like, what the hell is this? Might have been my second one. I was like, what the hell? It was when the Raiders had three first round picks, I believe. I think that was the Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abrams, and he likes who else? Was it Clellan Farrell? It might have been Clellan Farrell as well in that year. But yeah, you don't take a box safety, much less Jonathan Abrams, that high. And he is just shown to be a complete bust. Yes, he can hit hard and he targets people and seems like kind of a D-bag uh, in, in some cases, whether it be just taunting people when he can't back it up or just cheap shots and stuff like that. Yes, he's a hard-hitting safety, whatever. He's not a good one. He cannot play coverage to save his life. Honestly, my little brother would probably have a better chance out there, and he is 12 years old. I mean, he's also a stupendous athlete at 12 years old, so that might not be a fair comparison, but still, you're getting my point. So he got cut from the Raiders. Not really a big surprise. Their recent draft classes have not been great. And if you look in like their 2018 draft class, I think they have one person that remains on the quote-unquote roster and they're on the practice squad. So everyone else is either cut, traded, released, stuff like that. So kind of continuing that same trend. None of their fifth-year options was picked up and now he's just outright released. He was signed by the Green Bay Packers, which... At this point, what the hell? I mean, what are you doing getting another safety? I mean, Adrian Amos, I know that he hasn't played, like, I guess, to the top of his game, but he's still good. And then, obviously, you have Savage there as well as your other safety. 
Both of them are eons and eons better than Jonathan Abrams. I don't even think Abrams provides a good amount of depth. And even if he did say maybe maybe he's a third or fourth safety and he can play on special teams, what the hell is a special teams fourth string, third string safety going to do for a team that's main issue is its dreadful offense? That's not going to fix your offensive play calling. That's not going to fix your quarterback throwing three interceptions, two in the red zone against the Detroit freaking Lions, the worst defense in the NFL. That's not going to make your receivers all magically become number ones and catch over 100 yards a game. It's just not. So what the hell is the point of signing Jonathan Abrams? I I really don't get it. I mean, maybe he's just a talent and they wanted to pick him up. Okay, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's a Rich Bisaccia thing because Bisaccia obviously was for the Raiders and he coached the special team. So maybe saying, hey, this is my special teams guy. Let's bring him in here. I don't know. But still, just a head-scratching move. I mean, out of everyone, every position you could have signed and you take a safety, much less Jonathan Abrams. Weird. But that, that, that's really it for, I guess, the pressing headline. So I just wanted to touch quickly on our Thursday night football game. This one is a rematch of, honestly, one of the better games of the week a couple of weeks ago in the Falcons versus the Panthers. This time, the Falcons are going to be on the road to face the Panthers. And I don't know. I, I know that the other week I, I said that this would be a pitiful game, a terrible game, and that it would just absolutely suck in week eight. So, yeah, two weeks ago. Not even. They, they played each other, each faced a different team, and now they're playing each other again, which is kind of crazy. Uh, it, I, I, I still want to say it's going to be a bad game, but the Panthers have looked... I'm not going to say they looked all right because they're, they got their absolute doors blown off against the Bengals, but in that second half, and granted against second and third stringers, Baker Mayfield looked good. He was sharp. He was... 70% completion, 150 yards, two touchdowns. Deonta Foreman has obviously been doing very well on the ground, and they just got Sam Darnold back, so God only knows what they're going to be doing at quarterback. I'm assuming they're going to go Baker Mayfield still at this point just because he is the best quarterback on the roster, uh, at least in my opinion. But they also have a very good defense, and that's one thing that could definitely counteract the Falcons' strength, which right now... Uh, I mean, you you could say that it is also their defense, but their offense is honestly kind of how they live and die. If their offense has a bad day, they don't have a shot and they get blown out. If their offense has a good day, it seems like their defense is able to keep the other team in check, even though they let up uh, a lot of points. Now, Marcus Mariota's been playing all right. He's more of a threat on the ground than he is through the air. Tyler Algier, he emerged. He looks like a very solid running back, averaging over four yards a carry. He had a good game last week as well. Obviously, they got Corderell Patterson back. They have um, Chris Huntley as well, uh, just as as a third-string guy, you know, kind of in the backfield there. And then at receiver, you have obviously your your Drake London. Corderell Patterson can do a bit of that, and you have Kyle Pitts at the tight end. They have a decent offense. I'd say that, honestly, the Panthers and Falcons' offenses are relatively comparable at this point because... Deonta Freeman or Foreman for the Panthers, I'd say he's just about the same as the Falcons guys uh, along with Chuba Hubbard. So he and Chuba Hubbard are probably the equivalent of Corderell and whoever else they have there. Maybe a slight edge to the Falcons. And then receiving talent, I mean, just about the same. Neither team really has anybody. There's there's DJ Moore and, uh, yeah, I don't know, Tommy Tremble. That's about it for the Panthers. And then maybe the Falcons have a little bit more of London and Pitts. But, yeah, I mean, th- these offenses are very comparable, and so are the defenses. Carolina has a good defensive line, so do the Falcons. Uh, and they both have pretty decent secondaries, one anchored by J.C. Horn, the other by A.J. Terrell. 
And the key thing here is going to have to be the injuries because I do believe AJ Terrell will still be ruled out. I believe Eric Harris, their safety is also going to be out. And he has been one of the better safeties in the league this season, surprisingly. So with those guys missing the game, I'm a little worried, especially with them being home, be, being uh, favorites on the road. I don't like that here. Now, for the Panthers, Jeremy Chin, he's been on IR. Dante Jackson, he might not play the cornerback. Justin Burris, their safety's gone. Rashard Higgins and Chuba Hubbard, uh, one is out. The other might not play in Chuba Hubbard. So, the Falcons right now are favored by two and a half points, which isn't really a lot. It's, it's not bad, but in a game like this, home underdogs in the Panthers, it's, it's a rivalry divisional game. And the Panthers honestly should have won it the last time they played. Granted, that was with a ridiculous game from P.J. Walker. I don't know. Everything in my gut is telling me to go with the Panthers here, but uh, I just can't do it, guys. I think I'm still going to take the Falcons here because I think overall they are the better team, and they still have something to play for, so I think that that kind of counts here. So I really think that they're going to be doing that. And honestly, if they win it, the Buccaneers have a real chance of losing to the Seahawks in Germany. They really do. It sounds weird to say, but they definitely do. So they could regain that division lead. So give me the Falcons. I'll take them not to cover the spread, though. I think it'll be another very close game. Maybe it will cover the spread on a game-winning field goal like it did last time. But for the sake of this, I'll say the Falcons are going to win this game 28-26. to and with that being said, that's all that I do have for you guys here on today's episode. Like I said, just a little bit of a Thursday news dump. Obviously going over our Thursday night football. Good Thursday night football games. God, I love them, guys. Am I right or am I right? But yeah, I mean, I hope you guys did enjoy. You can always find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Podvine. And we're reaching out to a couple of different uh, podcast hosts as well. A bunch of different ones. And I'm trying to get really as far out as I can. Spread it to as many people as possible. I'm hoping to uh, secure it on Wisdom as well for those of you who use that or have friends who use that. So yeah, um, you can always find me on social media at Gabe underscore Flewellen, G-A-B-E underscore F-L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N and social media at Extra Points Podcast. Hope you guys have a great, great rest of the week. I'll catch you guys Saturday for a preview. Can't wait till then, guys. Have a good one. Peace.